On this week's edition of New York Now, Governor Hochul wants to turn New York's ethics laws upside down, and we get a first look at what redistricting might look like next year. Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Government and our own Daryl Camp join me. Then, what will Governor Hochul mean for New York's mid-sized cities? Senator Jeremy Cooney joins me to discuss. And later, after the Cuomo controversies, what's the future of New York's sexual harassment and victim protections laws? We'll get into it. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now. Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. So he's out of office now, but when former Governor Andrew Cuomo was hit with a series of controversies this year, a new conversation started in Albany. It's actually not so much a new conversation, but it felt new because for the first time in months, there was real pressure for ethics reform in New York. It's something that no matter how many laws we pass, it just never seems to get better. But now there could be a glimmer of hope in Albany. There's been a push for years now to either strengthen or replace Jacob, the state's ethics agency. And Governor Kathy Hochul said this week that she literally wants to turn Jacob upside down and create a new system with more power to handle bad behavior. I said that day one. I said one, what I'm going to do is turn it upside down and to challenge the premise that an entity that is created by elected officials with their own appointees should be charged with investigating those individuals should circumstances arise. The whole premise behind it is, is flawed. That was after Hochul came under fire this week for her new appointments to JCOPE, plus an update in the process of drawing new district lines for Congress and the state legislature in New York. Let's get into it with Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Government and our own Daryl Camp. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. It hasn't been a long week, but it feels like it's been a long week, I guess. Not a lot of like huge high-level news, but we have these really important things that happened. Daryl, I want to go to you first. We saw some JCOPE drama this week. They had their, annual, their uh, monthly meeting. A lot doesn't come from these because they're in executive session quite a lot of the time of the meeting, but mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about what happened. Okay, so this week was not a good week for the perception of ethics in the state of New York. Yeah. We did have a little bit more than normal in the public portion because the agenda had to be amended, which is a part of how we got to the point where we didn't revoke the governor's permission for his $5.1 million book deal, which was probably the biggest headline to come this week. But the other thing was the appointments that uh, the new governor made to Jacob, number one being the chair is a former Cuomo appointee who has been elevated, I suppose. Mm. So that, that's something that people had an issue with. And the other issue is the fact that A.G. James has sent a letter to Jacob. We found out, I think, late Monday or early Tuesday. Yeah, that, right before uh, the meeting on Tuesday. Correct. And the appointments were made right before the meeting um, that she can't investigate the Julie Garcia leak. If you remember, that was in 2019, where a former commissioner's vote had been leaked somehow to the former Cuomo administration. So we have a lot of things that happen in about a maybe 36-hour period. So the average New Yorker can look at New York state government and go, okay, Corruption, uh, an opaque approach to things, and nepotism are heritage inside your DNA. You know, I got to say, I 
can't recall a week where the perception of transparency and ethics in government was good. Two days, though. Over the course of two days, we have James Daring appointed, and he is sort of in the hot seat sitting right next to Sanford Berland, who about two weeks ago was in the hot seat during a hearing, and he said essentially the way that the state legislature set Jacob up, we can't be transparent, and there is validity to that, but we have, ethics is a nonpartisan issue in the state of New York, which I think uh, Dean Skelos and Sheldon Silver really proved. So I think there's finally enough of a motivation from our elected officials to maybe scrap it like the governor said. Yeah, I was going to say, Keisha, to you in a second, but Daryl, what do we see as the future of Jacob? Is there actual momentum? There is no future of Jacob. <laughs> well, that's Because the thing, yeah. even the former governor who had a number of appointees on Jacob as he was leaving said Jacob doesn't work and it's useless mm -hmm. more or less. So if the, the opinion is unanimous, I can't see how we have this long term. So Keisha, going to you, we had uh, the Independent Redistricting Commission, which is the panel that is supposed to be drawing new district lines in New York for Congress and the legislature. They met this week and <laughs> released their proposal of maps. It's their first round of like how they're going to think about it. There's some drama because there are two versions of each map. Tell us about it. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that you should know about the state's independent redistricting commission is that it's not necessarily independent. Um, the legislature um, was they the minority and the majorities were able to pick people to be on this. So there's four Democrats, there's four Republicans, and then there's two of these sort of not enrolled in either party. Um, one of them is a former conservative party member. So they tend, they actually tend to go to the parties, which makes it five and five and a lot of gridlock. Yeah. And constitutionally, this group was supposed to come out with their maps um, and then bring them next. We've got public hearings on the maps and they finalize it, bring it to the legislature for approval. But they came out with two sets of maps, one Republican, essentially, and one Democrat, right? This is so New York. It's just like yeah. to a mm -hmm. T. Yes, ahead, and sorry. actually, one of the good government groups mentioned that it makes sense because it's actually set up like the State Board of Elections, mm. which constantly is in gridlock, and the same for the New York City boards. It's, it's just a mess when it comes to elections um, in New York State, so it's going to be the same for redistricting, so no surprise there. Um, but what the issue is that the people, the public, so you might think redistricting, like, what does this have to do with me? And it's incredibly complicated, opaque process that is, is hard to describe. I don't think we have enough time no. in the no. next two days to describe <laughs> it. But basically, a lot of these community groups and good government groups are saying you shouldn't split. One of the main issues is you shouldn't split communities in half because then they don't have a voice when it comes to elections. Right. So you may have, for example, Chinatown may cross over two districts and their voice may be um, less empowered because they're, they don't have the majority in those districts. Um, and also you have sometimes um, on one of the maps it had townships split yeah. in the middle. So it was just kind of crazy. And even the Republican um, members of the committee were saying, were accusing the Democrats of gerrymandering. Um, and the public is now going to have to look at two sets of maps, which are already really hard to read, and say to the committee, what should you change? So um, a lot of my readers are in Washington, D.C. and are like, you know, this is pointless at this point until they come out with one final map. And the question being, can they come out with one final map? Yeah. If they don't, the legislature gets to redraw the lines. Even if they do, 
the legislature can still redraw the lines. So what was the point of this process except spending money is kind of what it seems like. Spending money, it feels like perception. I mm -hmm. feel like at the time after the, the last redistricting in 2010, 2012, that area, um, we just saw a lot of like obvious problems with the districts. So I think this was created as a way to avoid that, but obviously we're not getting there. Um, just a heads up to our viewers, I'm not gonna put up every map on the screen, but here is the state's now congressional districts, and we have the new proposed maps on our website at nynow.org. Uh, so Keisha, you mentioned a little bit, but take us through the process of what happens mm -hmm. next with this. We have these proposed maps, where do we go from here? So next they're gonna have 14 public hearings um, across the state, and all of this is written in the state constitution. So they have to follow it. They had to release the maps by the 15th, even though they felt like they didn't have enough time to come to a, an agreement. Um, the hearings, they'll be virtual and in person, so I'm sure people um, from all over can come in different regions of the state and comment on the maps. Then they have to go back to the drawing board and theoretically come up with one finalized map. Goodness gracious, yes. it's a whole process. We do have to leave it there, we're out of yes. time. Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Government, Daryl Camp, our own Daryl Camp. Thank you both so much for being here, I appreciate it. So starting next week, state lawmakers are launching a listening tour in cities outside New York City. And the goal is basically to find out how the state can help those cities, their economies, and the people who live there. It's no secret that the state's economy outside New York City isn't doing so well. That's why we rely on New York City to fund a lot of the state. But some lawmakers want to see that change and basically transform the state outside New York City. For more on that, I turned this week to Senator Jeremy Cooney, who chairs what's called the City's Two Committee. Senator Jeremy Cooney, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. So you chair this committee. It's a new committee this year called Cities Two. It was created because the original Cities Committee is really about New York City. So your committee is about the city, cities upstate, like the one that you represent, Rochester, Buffalo, Binghamton, Albany, all of the above. So we have a new governor. I'm wondering how you think a governor, Kathy Hochul, will change the state's interaction with these cities. Do we see it in a positive direction, no change? What are you thinking about? Absolutely, I think we have a positive opportunity. Remember that while New York City is an economic driver for our state and of course a large part of our state's population, we have cities that have a long historic relationship with the state of New York, whether you're, it's Buffalo where uh, Governor Hochul hails from, and of course, uh, she's, I always say she's a Buffalo mom first. Uh, she knows what it's like to raise a family in upstate New York, and she knows what it's like to be in a mid-sized city. Uh, but of course, cities outside of, of New York City, that could be on Long Island, that could be in the Hudson Valley, that could be in the amorphous blob we try to define as upstate New York. Right. But again, I think what we have noticed and what we have observed is a consistent disinvestment. Uh, from these cities by the state of New York over decades. Uh, it's not about blaming one governor or another. It's about a recommitment by the New York State Senate majority to investing in these cities both uh, financially and through policy. So tell me what that money would go towards. Are we talking just about economic development programs? Or are we talking about infrastructure, maybe all of the above? Well, I'm a big data person, and so if you look at the census information that came out just a few weeks ago, while we saw overall the state's population increase, we saw that upstate cities proportionately fell behind, of course, New York City. And I know that Governor Hochul understands this, 
Um, she, of course, she's a, you know, a native of Hamburg, New York, uh, part of Buffalo, but she also has been through these upstate cities during her tenure as lieutenant governor. So she's been all the way up to Plattsburgh. She's been down to Binghamton and Elmira. And of course, she's been along the throughway many, many times. Um, so I think that's a real new opportunity for the state of New York to invest in our cities. Yeah, the governor uh, has been to more places than the previous governor in the state, more counties, more localities, and that's almost a function of the LG sometimes, is that you do go to these events, all these ribbon cuttings, but also just meeting with local officials and trying to figure out how you can help in your position. So that being said, she has gone to all of these cities. You represent Rochester, and obviously you're familiar with all of these cities. What do you think are the immediate pressing needs of these cities? Obviously, it's going to vary city by city, but what are these overall blanket problems that she could possibly help deal with? Well, I think it depends on, the, as you noted, uh, the, the focus of each city, right? So, for example, way up in the North Country, there are probably tourism opportunities uh, that we can't necessarily match in other parts of the state. Uh, certainly here in the Finger Lakes region, we also try to promote uh, our tourism. So investments in what brings conventions, what brings groups, what is the infrastructure that is required to have those types of investments come. Um, but I do think that there are also some common threads among these cities, uh, which gives me a good opportunity to talk about uh, a new tour initiative that we're going to be doing through the Cities 2 Committee in the Senate, launching next week. We're calling it the Regenerate Tour, and the, uh, the key is eight. There. there are eight cities. So the big five cities uh, outside of the city of New York, that's Buffalo, Rochester, Yonkers, Syracuse, and Albany, plus three mid-sized cities in the middle of our state, Plattsburgh, Utica, and Binghamton. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be visiting those eight cities over the next two weeks in my capacity as the city's two chairman. And we're going to be working with the senators, both in the majority and minority parties in each of those areas to identify what those common threat issues are. And one of those issues, and I know whether you're in a rural setting or whether you're in an urban setting, is poverty. And we know that a lot of these cities, from that systemic disinvestment by the state, have high concentrations of, of child poverty and family poverty. And there's an opportunity to learn and to make those investments and correct those wrongs so that all New Yorkers can benefit as we go into the economic recovery post-COVID. Yeah, I'm thinking of Binghamton, which you mentioned. I'm from a small town right outside of Binghamton, and I, as I was growing up, you could just see the city of Binghamton just decline and decline and decline. And now, now there's a little bit more investment, I think, by sponsors in the city and maybe the county as well. But these cities really have a tough time because of these major issues, and a lot of the time it's out of their control. Like in Binghamton, um, I believe it was IBM that shut down, and that was a huge, huge workforce uh, loss for just employers there. Are there any ideas that you have immediately before your tour that maybe could be implemented, Not obviously not immediately, but that would help these cities kind of boost that economic prosperity that we're all hoping for someday? Absolutely, and of course, representing Rochester, the home of Kodak and Xerox and Bosch and Long, we too have seen that disinvestment from big corporations. But one of the things that I think we could do, and it's one of the questions I'm gonna ask on the Regenerate Tour next week, is what could we be doing as a state to incentivize talent, workforce talent, to come specifically to upstate New York. We know that New York City doesn't have any issues uh, attracting and retaining population. So for me, it's could we economically incentivize uh, recent college graduates, 
uh, or graduate students, uh, tech entrepreneurs who maybe don't want to live in Northern California where the cost of living is so high, or maybe they don't wanna live in the Southern coastal regions where we're seeing increased flooding due to climate change. Can we attract them to a good quality of life where they can buy a home and they can buy a car and they can live in a good quality of life with good public schools in New York? But can we actually make that financially feasible? And we've seen other states do this far more effectively, like the state of Maine, for example, where they actually financially incentivize student loan payoffs uh, for recent graduates to move back to the state of Maine. So those are the types of creative public policy solutions that I hope that our committee can focus on next session. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, if you need a sales pitch for coming to New York and living here, you just got to talk to me. I grew up here and I love New York. So, you know, I, I'm excited to see what you get out of this tour. You're talking to local officials, I'm assuming, those kind of people. And uh, are you speaking with residents as well? Absolutely. So I'm a former chief of staff to the mayor here in Rochester. So we know that cities are great laboratories for public policy. So when we go to each of these eight cities, we are going to be meeting with a diverse group of stakeholders, all of which contribute to the quality of life and the economic activity for each city. So we're going to be doing a mixture of listening and, and, and then learning. And then the idea is to come back together and to come up with a suite of legislation or a package of bills to be talked about through the Cities 2 Committee in the Senate next session. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see what you find out. This is the first time in recent history that I can think of where uh, there's been a bipartisan listening tour kind of approach on how we can lift these cities up. I feel like we often just see New York as a general kind of how do we make this state better, but I think it'll be useful to see the unique items that make each city uh, really some, somewhere special to be and somewhere special to live. But we'll leave it there. State Senator Jeremy Cooney, Chair of Cities 2, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today. And the listening tour the Senator mentioned starts next week in Albany. We'll put a full list of days and locations on our website. That's at nynow.org. So when it comes to changes in state government, one issue that lawmakers have been debating for years is sexual harassment. Two years ago, the state passed the Women's Justice Agenda, which made strides towards ending sexual harassment in the workplace. But some say more should be done after this year's Cuomo controversies. We spoke with Elias Farah of the Sexual Harassment Working Group and Michael Pollenberg of Safe Horizon about how the state could better protect workers and find justice for victims. Take a look. Michael and Elias, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Of course. Elias, I want to go to you first because in some ways, it, well, in a lot of ways, we're in the situation with the new governor because the old governor, Governor Andrew Cuomo, was accused of sexual harassment by 11 women. And I think there is a disconnect for some people over what sexual harassment is and what it is not in New York. So let's start there. How is sexual harassment defined in New York? How do we bring it to that level? Well, one of the main things is it shouldn't be defined by the person that's being accused. It should be defined by the victim. Um, and that's something you saw there. You, I, I mean, you saw Governor Cuomo say, I didn't mean to do this, or, it, you know, that's not my intent. It's, it doesn't really matter what, what his intent was. It's actually, how does the victim feel in this situation? So that's that's one of the keys here. Um, you know, you, it's a very, very difficult thing to define. Um, it, it's generally unwanted. 
that's one of the main things. Unwanted, and not unwanted on the perpetrator, it's unwanted by the victim. So uh, I, I would say that's kind of a layman's uh, brief overview of, of what it is. So sticking with you, Elias, how can we strengthen the state's laws to prevent this from happening again? We already strengthened them in 2019 with a bunch of robust ideas, but I know that there's more that could be done from your opinion. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the main parts um, about strengthening the laws is also listening to victims. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we've advocated, our group, the Sexual Harassment Working Group, has really advocated um, for listening to victims. Uh, some of these uh, times where victims get to testify and speak and, and actually allow uh, people in the legislature to really hear what the victims have to say. I mean, a victim-centered um, laws are always the most important. You know, you can have all these people making the laws, but a lot of times the people making the laws have been the people that are, are out there sexually harassing. So the sexual harassers and abusers are the ones defining uh, what the laws are. So one way to start would be to listen to the victims. Um, you know, you can make all the laws in the world, but if they don't actually um, hear what the victims have to say and actually fix the problem, uh, then they don't really do anything. You're just putting extra laws on the books. So, Michael, I want to turn to you because this is uh, related to a bill that Safe Horizon has been advocating for. It's called the Adult Survivors Act. Like the Child Victims Act, it would create a one-year look-back window for adult survivors of sex crimes. So let's start with, uh, Michael, what's on the books now in New York? When somebody is sexually assaulted as an adult, what is their civil recourse? What does that look like right now? Sure. So it's a little complicated because the laws have changed recently. Um, in 2019, not only did the legislature do the right thing after more than a decade of delays and passed the Child Victims Act, it also the legislature also extended the criminal and civil statute limitations forward for most sex crimes. The issue for the Adult Survivors Act are people who were sexually assaulted as adults prior to 2019. Um, these folks. Uh, for the most part, are now outside of the statute. They, uh, uh, these are people who may not have disclosed before to anybody and are only disclosing now. They may have tried to report to the police or spoken to a prosecutor, but were failed by that system. And so the Adult Survivors Act would create this one-year look-back window to allow individuals who are sexually assaulted as adults the ability to file a civil lawsuit. So Elias, coming back to you, both of these ideas bolstering the sexual harassment laws and the Adult Survivors Act have not passed the Assembly, they've passed the Senate. If you had the Assembly members in front of you right now that were opposed to these ideas that kind of blocked them from going to the floor, what would you say to them? How do you convince these lawmakers that this is the right thing to do, that it needs to happen? Well, it's very clear. I mean, the Assembly itself uh, has had a number of issues. I, I think people really voters have seen that the assembly seems like a disaster when it comes to uh, enforcing sexual harassment. Um, now there are some newer members coming in that I, I think really take this seriously, but uh, the assembly really needs to take a step forward and say, uh, if we want to be a progressive state, if we want to protect um, people in this state, what we need to do is pass this legislation and, and also work together um, to kind of, in a sense, get um, to get on the right page with everybody else. I mean, the Senate can do it, and now the incoming governor says that that she is going to uh, be advocating for victims. So it, it's about time that the assembly kind of 
takes a step in the right direction. Yeah, as you mentioned, Governor Kathy Hochul says that she wants to change the culture in Albany, which is notorious for sexual harassment and corruption. Elias, sticking with you, what is that going to take in Albany? There's, you know, passing laws and then there's changing the culture. And I know those two things can go hand in hand, but what do you think it's going to take to really overturn this system? Well, you know, everybody kind of says they're going to change the culture in Albany. What it would really take is is somebody who actually does it. Um, You know, a lot of times what we see is people talking, a lot of rhetoric, um, Governor uh, Hochul, I mean, she's from the area that I'm from. She's from Buffalo. Um, So I'm hopeful right now, but I'd like to actually see things get done. You know, I I think when she said that anybody named in the report won't be working in her office, I I think that's a very important step. But you also have to be very firm on it. You have to be very firm that that kind of behavior isn't going to be tolerated. Uh, And and also anybody in your administration um, that disagrees with it, you have to kind of clean house and make sure that, that that isn't going to be tolerated in your own administration before you can go out there and say, this is what we're going to do for the rest of the state. So like I said, I'm very hopeful for what um, the new governor is going to do. It's a really good point. Michael, do you think it's realistic that Albany can change in such a, well, I guess we don't know how long Governor Hochul will be in office, but is it realistic to think think that we can change this system that's been in place for so long? You know, I'm I'm an optimistic guy. I think that there's renewed energy in Albany. Um, it was referenced earlier. We have a lot of uh, newer, younger assembly members and senators who are less wedded to the status quo and more eager to shake things up and and to pass survivor-centered legislation. It, you know, nothing's going to change overnight, and those of us who are advocates will always want things to move more quickly, but I think that there really can be change. Um, as long as, as Elias said, that there's a real commitment uh, to not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. Let's hope so. We'll leave it there. Michael Pollenberg from Safe Horizon, Elias Farah from the Sexual Harassment Working Group. Thank you both for being here this week. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. And if anyone you know is experiencing sexual harassment at work, we'll put some resources up on our website. That's at nynow.org. Until then, thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.